0: Diving into data. Diving. Di- diving. D- d- data. Diving into data with TC Riley. Hello, hello, hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Diving into Data. I am your host, TC Riley. Hope everyone is doing well out there and is ready for an action-packed, data-filled podcast adventure today. Hope that everyone's been doing well and staying healthy as things continue to reopen in the world. The episode today we're going to dive into is probability modeling. So this came up in actually three different instances randomly this week, one business, one personal, I guess maybe let's say one business and two personal, one more educational, personal and one personal life. Um, And probability modeling actually uh, reared its head in a number of ways. And it got me thinking in one of the conversations I had that some people don't really understand what probability modeling is, what likely outcomes are versus exact and expected outcomes. So we're going to dive deep into probability modeling. Um, relative, It is one of my favorite and most straightforward uses of data. It's something we do here all the time. Frankly, it's a pretty low barrier to entry. So from a business perspective, it's definitely one that can be incredibly valuable to a business without requiring a... Let's call it a ridiculous amount of work or resources Um, and the other thing that's cool about is you probably do it a lot mentally without even really realizing it maybe not to the extent that we're going to talk about today with actual um, use cases of business analysis but in some regards you kind of do so we're going to touch on that as the example um, the story we're going to go with the big use case today is around the drake equation um, and its relation to the fermi paradox if you don't know what the Drake Equation and Fermi Paradox in, well uh, uh, are, pardon me, then just get ready for um, a very interesting topic that's probably going to make you think a little bit. Um, one of my, frankly, favorite topics, there's a cool story this week that came out with it. It's the reason we're touching on it today. It's one of the things that led to this being our topic today, um, but I'll be totally honest with you guys out there, guys and gals, I should say. The Drake Equation and Fermi Paradox are probably my singular favorite subject in the entire world. Um, There's nothing I enjoy learning more about. Um, It's just the thing that I geek out about the most. So it's my radio show, so we're going to talk about it. If uh, you don't like it, well, get your own radio show. No, I'm just kidding. Everyone's welcome here and dive into data. Um, But we're going to dive into the Drake Equation, look at how this is a real-life example of probability modeling. Um, probabilistic modeling, if you prefer. And then we're obviously, we got to tie this back into marketing and data here. Um, so we're going to talk about some marketing use cases of this, how we use this as a business, um, not just in marketing, but across the organization, how a business can and should be using this probabilistic modeling. Um, again, with a relatively low barrier to entry, it's definitely one to check out and try to utilize internally. So buckle up. We're about to wrap in. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a drink if you'd like, practice some social distancing. Let's dive into some data so our main topic and really our only topic this week that we're really going to dive into again is about probabilistic modeling or probability modeling depending on who you ask so just uh, is to start very basic here what is what are we talking about what is probabilistic modeling so the technical definition is a modeling system that incorporates random variables and property probability distributions to model an event and the expected outcomes. The solution, quote unquote, the end result of this modeling is a probability distribution. So that's incredibly important right there before we go any further to understand exactly what they're talk- we're talking about. So what probability modeling does is it takes a bunch of different variables around an event and the likelihood of an event, the likelihood of an outcome. It takes all of the unknowns, or maybe not even unknowns as much as um, variables that you can't specifically define, they have a range of possibilities, in order to give you the best guess or the most likely solution of all possible solutions of running through this event. Um, it can go from, let's say, the worst case scenario way over here on the left to the best case scenario way over here on the right. And it's gonna tell you where in that the probability is expecting the distribution lineup. line up. So in other words, Uh, the distribution of these possible outcomes tells you the likelihood at each point that that will be your solution. And when you look at it holistically, it can tell you where you are likely to land in that. So um, the reason this is so great is because it takes randomness into account for best guesses, if we're being honest, is what we're really talking about. It's really looking at every possible solution. Um, Again, from the most likely to the least likely and graphing them so that you can easily identify, okay, here are all the possible solutions, Solutions, but maybe more importantly, it's not only all the possible, but here are the most likely. Here's where we should really expect to see this come up. It, it really is, in my opinion, from a business perspective, um, and just overall in the use of data, one of the most straightforward ways to use data. Again, this isn't black magic. This isn't ridiculous amounts Um, of uh, information and data being pulled and processed and analyzed. This is just simply taking a handful of variables of which you ideally, hopefully, um, know the range of possible values, probably also looking for the uh, likelihood of those possible variables. And you're taking all those to pretty much run a bunch of different scenarios and say, okay, again, the lowest, let's say the lowest possible value for every one of these variables winds us here, the highest possible lands us here, and all the combinations in between give us a value in between here. And again, it's the idea of this is not to give you an exact answer. We're gonna to touch on the marketing use cases, deterministic modeling, um, which is finding a, uh, for lack of a better term, an exact answer, knowing exactly what's gonna happen. That's not what probability modeling or probabilistic modeling is about. That's giving you the possible outcomes and the likelihood of each of those. So, uh, the other cool thing is you probably actually do this a lot in your personal life without ever really realizing it. Um, any type of cost-return situation, we'll call it. I'm gonna, you know, do it. This, it's gonna cost me this much, whether it's time, money, effort, whatever it may be, and the return expected is, you know, X, Y, or Z. Um, that's actually a way of probabilistic modeling in your head, a more simplified version of it. Um, it's a little bit of a uh, cause and effect almost in some regard um, where you're understanding that um, again these are the uh, you've identified that you know these are the things that are going to determine exactly how this event proceeds, what the outcome is. Um, these are all the things that are going to affect it. We'll call it positively or negatively. Um, but the uh, the most important thing to remember here is that they're almost never just a single variable. Um, if we wanted to get incredibly oversimplistic with this, we could say that you know flipping a coin is a probabilist. You could probabilistic uh, do probabilistic modeling, pardon me, around that. Um, and you'd find, you know, let's say 44.999% tails, 44.999% heads, and then a tiny, tiny decimal that, yes, it's possible the coin lands on its side. Um, is that likely? No, I've never done it. I actually did watch a guy do it one time. Weird story for a different day. But... Um, It takes into account all these possibilities. Another way should be maybe, um, if you're looking at it, uh, the cost of a new car. If you're looking for a new car, it's uh, relevant in our family right now. We're potentially looking at upgrading for my wife. Um, And looking at this, understanding the different um, variables that go into it. So frankly, if we want to get real high level, we could say the type of car she's going to get. um, The model, make and model. um, And then past that, okay, new or used and all these other things. We're incorporating all these variables that we have a good idea as to how this will impact the price um, and what we should expect to pay. Actually, Kelly Blue Book has this cool little tool now that shows you at any time, I believe it's Kelly Blue Book. I'm sorry if I'm ripping off some other apps. Great little tool, not giving them credit for it, but it tells you pretty much are you paying the right price for a car. It shows you all the prices as a distribution paid in the area um, or some relative zone for this car that you're looking at and you're able to kind of see where you stack up. Um, if you have some unknowns going into that in terms of what deals you're going to be able to get, um, what the maximum, let's say rebate, you'll be able to get on it. Uh, different dealerships have different deals, this, that, and the other thing. You're doing a little bit of probabilistic modeling. Um, so again, maybe that's not the best perfect example, but the point being, um, this is one that is not purely what I'll call a, you know, a, a data science practice or a heavy data practice. Someone, you know, only a statistician is ever going to look at this stuff. No, no, no. This is definitely something that a lot of us do on a daily basis. Maybe we just don't fully realize it. Um, Again, uh, to emphasize, the result here is not a single outcome or this is going to happen. It is here are your outcomes and here are how likely each of them are to happen. It takes into account real-life situations, real-world situations where you don't always know how something's going to turn out. Um, It's not a linear equation that we're solving here um and the thing you really need to determine um when you're looking at it is just how accurate you need to be um or do you need to estimate um, and are you okay with having that? Again, if you're not okay with this range of possibilities, well, you probably need to completely take a step back, reframe your problem, and think about what you're doing. Because uh, there's very, very few things in the real world and the real business world where you can have an absolute outcome. Um, you're going to know exactly what's going to happen and not going to have any issues with it. So, uh, probabilistic modeling has its place. Um, it's incredibly important. And For our first segment, or our main segment today, what we're going to talk about is actually a use case that, again, personally, I geek out over. It is the Drake equation, a great use of probabilistic modeling. So stick around. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back to dive into the Drake equation and Fermi Paradox here on Diving Into Data. (laughs) Alrighty, welcome back to Diving Into Data. So our main story this week comes to us via our good friends at Forbes. If you listen to the show a lot, you know that um, either I happen to randomly stumble across a lot of Forbes articles or I really like their stuff and go to them as a trusted source. Uh, You'd be right if you pick the latter there. So this actually came up. The reason I decided to... I mentioned there's a couple other things in our life that have had some probabilistic modeling tie-ins that made me think, hey, this would be a kind of a cool topic for us to dive into since it does seem to be one that... Um, not everyone is incredibly familiar with, even if it's um, one of the more relatively kind of straightforward uh, statistical applications um, in a business setting. Um, but the real reason that this really triggered in my head and made me think, all right, I got to do it this week, is a story that came out this week from Forbes about the Drake equation and a solution for it. That's a little teaser. Give me a couple minutes. We're going to get back there. First, let's, uh, again, I-, I will be fully transparent in saying that uh, this might be my favorite topic ever. Um, I've been waiting for almost a year now to find a way to really work this into the show and how we could talk about it. And I finally found my path this week and I was going to jump on it. Uh, the Drake equation and then again in relation to Fermi paradox. We'll touch on what those mean here in a second. Um, love them. Listen to ridiculous number of the podcasts, read all types of stories. Um, any chance I get to really research this and learn more about it and dive deeper into it, um, I'm all about it. So uh, I par- apologize for geeking out if you're thinking, well, I understand the date of time, but it seems like we're going pretty far here on a uh, what equates to kind of a theoretical equation or a, a physics equation. Yeah, you might be right, but again, hey, it's my show. I love it. We're going to talk about it. It's something I can get behind it any day of the week. So what is the Drake Equation? This was an equation that was uh, popularized by Francis Drake, Frank Drake, back in the early 1960s. He's a uh, scientist, a physicist. And what it did is it it was a way of estimating the expected number of spacefaring, technologically advanced species living in the Milky Way galaxy. Kind of a weird topic, yeah? Yeah, I know, weird. Um, so, what this is, again, to break that down into more simple terms, is it's looking we know that there are an unbelievable number of stars in the galaxy there are unbelievable number of galaxies in the universe and what the equation does is looks at things that we have a range of of possibilities for Um, a number of factors we'll go through here in a second that we are able to put finite boundaries on maybe we don't have a great estimate as to exactly what the variable will be in our equation again why probabilistic modeling is so useful but we at least have some grasp on putting some type of parameters around these different variables that should allow us to estimate, okay, with all the probabilities we know of these certain events happening throughout time and history and evolution and things like that, how many species like us advanced technologically advanced space faring species should be out there in the Milky way. And so the way this, equation came up was a lot of people talking about kind of extraterrestrial stuff we're not diving deep into that we're not you know throwing out on the tinfoil hats tonight or anything like that but it does open up some very good questions and the biggest one was one um this is probably the one more people have heard of than the drake equation posed by enrico fermi another physicist um, who created maybe my favorite uh, paradox of all time by simply saying great then where are they and what he was referring to is the Drake Equation, which we're going to go through. Um, and again, just this week was actually kind of solved, quote unquote, to prove that uh, Francis Drake was absolutely correct and Fermi was absolutely correct. in asking where are they? Because if they exist, based on the math, we know the math's accurate. We have a really good grasp on the uh, the variables in this equation at this point. Where are they? Again, uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna go too deep in the Fermi paradox today because. Um, This is going to turn into a three-hour show and go way off the rails and have nothing to do with data. I would be happy to do it. Anyone out there listening who would like to sit there and just endlessly talk about this topic, drop me a line. Be happy to. Um, But there, I will touch on that. There are a couple um, cool little solutions, quote unquote, to the Fermi paradox. Trying to answer this question of where are they? Uh, The most common being the Great Filter. Um, Pretty much a a, in a couple of words, um, something as a species advance and life advances, um, there's some barrier that prevents species from going further and advancing as a civilization further. Um, that could be a filter well behind us, whether it's, you know, the evolution just life in general being created, multicellular life, technologically advanced life, whatever it may be, that could be the filter or it could be in front of us, which is even more scary. If you want to go deep into the, uh, Fermi paradox podcast archives, there's some great stuff out there that really dives into this, but, Um, It could be referring to uh, species' inability not to uh, destroy themselves after a certain amount of time before they're able to really accomplish too, too much from a um, galaxy's perspective. Um, But uh, even though the great field is probably the most common thing out there that people talk about with it, um, some other really interesting ones out there, including the zoo theory, um, which is pretty much we are set up in a zoo and as an animal, and that you could be looked at but not touched or interacted with from the outside. Um, There's the no-touch experiment one where um, we're actually set up as a civilization by some alien species and stuff like that. And they're just sitting there waiting and they won't contact us until we reach a certain point of technological advancements. There's all types of great stuff out there. Again, if you've listened to the last three or four minutes and thought, what the heck is this guy talking about? I don't care about this at all. Or if you're listening to this on two times speed hitting the plus 15 seconds, that's fine. But if you're interested in this i highly encourage you cannot encourage you more strongly than anything i've ever talked about here uh to go read more about the Fermi paradox it's really really cool all right back to our drake equation our probabilistic modeling so i mentioned again francis drake came out with it early 1960s and this is the formula n equals r times fp times NE, times FE, times FI, times FC, times L. And that comes to us directly from the SETI Institute, the good folks over at the Search for Extraterrestrial Life Institute. Um, And so what did I just say? I just said F a whole bunch, and I threw out a bunch of letters. It sounded like I was having a stroke or something. Let's break this down. So N, the actual equation, what it's equaling, is the number of technologically advanced species that are capable of space travel in the um, there's actually in there, I should mention, there are two ways of looking at this. So there's one version that has in the Milky Way specifically, and there's one that has in the galaxy, or I'm sorry, yes, in the entire universe, not the galaxy. So from an even higher level, we're going to talk about the one that's more specific to the Milky Way, which is the one that's more commonly referenced as it relates to Earth and where are they in the Fermi Paradox. Um, First variable, R, rate of star formation. So how likely are we and how many stars are we expecting to see in the Milky Way? We know how with our telescopes and the capabilities we have, we know how many stars are out there. We know how quickly stars form, how often they form the types of stars that form, everything around star formation. So with that, we can get a really good estimate of the number of stars in the Milky Way, the number of possibilities from the very beginning. You need a star to have life because you need everything else that goes around that star and the energy to come from that. So the rate of star formation is our first one. Second one, FB, the fraction of stars with planets. So this is one at the time in the 60s. Um, it was only, they. I believe they would confirmed one or two, Um, Other stars had uh, uh, planets around another star besides the sun in our solar system. That honestly still might have been a couple decades off. I might be mixing up my timeline. But now we actually know that um, nearly every star out there has a lot of planets. Planets are not rare, and our solar system is not unique in that regard. It's actually pretty dang common. Um, We see planets and planets with moons even all the time throughout the Milky Way. All right, so next equation, or next variable, pardon me, N-E. So, what this one is, is the number of planets per star that are suitable for life. Again, if you're into space and you've heard of the Goldilocks zone, um, it is the perfect, the habitable zone another the term for it. It's the area um, where Earth is in in relation to our sun, obviously, if it's habitable. That's where we'd be if we're, we exist and you're listening to this podcast. Um, but uh, it, there is a zone where it's not too hot, not too cold. It's the, the three bears um, scenario here where... Um, if you are really, really far out, think you know Pluto, Neptune stuff, way out there, it's too cold for life. There's just everything is frozen solid. There's not enough heat from that star. Life can't exist and can't get going um, in an environment that's cold and desolate. Um, on the other side of it, the Mercuries and further end of the world. If you're too close to a really hot thing, you're going to burn up. You're not going to have anything there. Life can't survive a situation like that. So, between the two of those, um, in our galaxy, it stretches from pretty much. Uh, Venus to we'll call it past Mars, kind of the asteroid belt. Um, some people would argue even to Jupiter and things like that and further beyond depending on exactly how we're looking at it. But, um, it is this zone. So, uh, we have all these planets we've said, okay, so we have this many stars and estimated again, it's a range. It's a possibility. We don't know the exact number of stars. I have certainly haven't sat down and counted them all. I bet you haven't either. Um, we have the estimated number of planets per star. So that gives us the number of bodies that potentially could house life great now we know well how common um is it that there's actually in the habitable zone they're suitable for life they're not a gaseous planet for instance or something like that if you go beyond that um so next variable fe fraction of those planets from above where life actually appears this is the most tricky and difficult one to predict this is one that frankly until we find extraterrestrial life we don't have an actual number for this we don't have a we have a best guess at best with this um, we haven't even been able to recreate life in a lab truly successfully um, out of nothing. So uh, the, uh, there's a significant barrier there. This is probably the variable is the biggest question mark in our equation. But um, it is important to think that, okay, well, we have all these stars in the suitable zone, but how many of them are actually going to have life? Well, that's important to know. But we're going to keep moving on because it goes well beyond that. You don't just need life if we want spacefaring civilizations. Next one is FI, the fraction of life-bearing planets that are intelligent life. Keep in mind that um, what we're classifying as intelligent life would apply to humans in the last, we'll call it a couple thousand, maybe 10, 20,000 years. The Earth has been around for a long time. Um, there are these uh, cool creatures wandering around for a couple hundred million years called the dinosaurs, um, if you're not familiar with them, um, that uh, were around and dominated the Earth for literally millions and millions of years and yet never, uh, would have advanced to what we would call intelligent life. Um, no communication, no things like that. Let me rephrase that. They absolutely had communication, um, no intelligent advancement, no technology, no tool usage, things like that. Frankly, the things that make humans, humans in your mind, if you want to kind of look at it like that and separates us from animals. Um, but again, that that's going to cut them down again. Again, even if we think that okay, there's a ton of life-bearing things, but we got a bunch of dinosaurs roaming around the Milky Way. We don't have a lot of humans. Okay, so yep, yep, there's absolutely a barrier there that cuts down even more of our population, and our, our likelihood here. All right, we're getting pretty slim here. It seems like we've cut a lot of things out. But we got more to go. FC. This is the fraction that developed technology for the advancement and identify. I'm sorry, for the identification of another civilization in space. Keep in mind, again, humans have been around for tens of thousands of years. Um, society as we know it has been around for you know a few thousand years. Um, only in the last 50 years have we been able to break out of the Earth, get off of our planet, get into space in any capacity. Um, and frankly, even uh, more recently, until we've actually developed the technology to really lick, listen and look out there to send signals across the universe the way that we do right now. Um, It's incredibly recent, you know, 50 years might seem like a long time, you know, uh, to some of us, but keep in mind that the age of the universe is uh, (laughs) billions and billions of years old I think 13 billion, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, So uh, in the grand scheme of things, the amount of time that we've been actually doing this is incredibly slim, but it's important for us to keep that in mind that not only do you need to be intelligent life. Um, They can't be, let's say, you know, building the pyramids of Giza and expect us to find them. Um, They need satellites, they need radio waves, they need radio signals, microwaves, something that they're transmitting that can actually be heard. And our last variable, L, the length of time they'd be around to release these signals. Keep in mind, too, that there are a lot of things out there. um, But if a technologically advanced species even was on Mars a billion years ago, a million years ago, heck, even 10,000 years ago, we would have had no contact with them. Um, all of their radio waves would be gone now. Obviously, if there was life on Mars, maybe we'd be able to find something with some of the probes we've sent and stuff like that. But just to show you that um, their time is a very specific thing. Again, right now we are in the penultimate uh, kind of time to be a human when it comes to this stuff. However, the universe is really old. What makes us say that um, even if there are two advanced species, another species just as advanced as we are right now out there, even if they are a couple thousand years off, there's a chance that we won't overlap with them. Um, And when you're talking about billions and billions and billions of years, the likelihood of them overlapping drops even further. All of this, I just gave you a bunch of reasons, frankly, that if if, I wouldn't blame you at all, if your position at this point was, well, like it sounds like they're not out there at all. Like you just listed a million reasons why we seem to be really unique and special. Um, And frankly, I, I wouldn't totally disagree with that, but Brings us back to our article this week. Thanks to advancements in technology, a lot of these variables that when Francis Drake wrote this equation were complete guesses on his part. Um, they had, you know, they had a decent estimate in number of stars and could get some, you know, um, within a couple magnitudes, uh, an accurate count there. Um, even had some idea of planets. Um, everything else here is going as a guess though. We don't know exactly what this is. We don't know um, how many um, are actually. Uh, is life going to appear and the fraction of that that are life-bearing to go intelligent, things like that. But with technological advancements and more modeling, um, some incredibly powerful computers, um, an institute this week was able to actually identify that the number, if you run this equation and you do the most likely outcomes, the most likely outcome is 36. Now, uh, that's incredible for a whole nother reason. Again, we're not going to dive into, well, where are they? And back to the Fermi paradox. But The thing that I wanna point out here is that I'm actually gonna call Forbes out a little bit here. The title of their headline and everything they're promoting is, hey, we found the solution to the Drake equation, 36. There should be 36 other species. What did we talk about at the beginning? Probabilistic modeling doesn't give you an exact answer. Yes, 36 might be the most likely. That could be what we expect to find. And even when you read the specific article, it talks a little bit about that and touches on that. However, that headline that they grab you with is, there are 36 others, so you're looking out there I believe 36 totals with 35 others. And they want you to grab your binoculars, grab your telescope, and start looking. Because so where are these other 35? We know they're out there. No. We know that based on the variables that we have, based on the information we know, that is the expected number, which opens up a lot of questions. But keep in mind, in probabilistic modeling, it does not tell us the answer. It tells us the most likely answer. So while they're, you know, this math says 36, There could absolutely be thousands out there. We could have way undershot the estimate on one of these things. Um, Maybe, you know, uh, life appears on nearly every star where it's suitable for life um, compared to, you know, one out of a couple. I think it's one out of like 10,000 or something like that that the base equation uses. Um, Alternatively, there could be one. We could be it. There's definitely a model and a scenario here where that number, again, the, let's say life bearing to intelligent life, um, is a, such a low volume, such a rare exception that we somehow slipped through here, um, that we really are the only one we're not, we're not here to debate the, uh, the question, are we alone this and that we're not going to go too deep here. But, um, I, I, the reason I touched on this again, frankly, it's my favorite topic. I've loved the last 15 minutes. I think it's been my favorite of the show. (laughs) Um, but, uh it's a great use of probabilistic modeling and it still drives at the fact that even though we have this, you know, quote unquote answer, we don't really have an answer. We have a probability. We have a distribution. We're guessing on that distribution, but we're using math and data to give us a likely outcome or the likelihood of a number of outcomes, which makes it really cool. And uh, just to put a bow on this segment, just so you know, if you're wondering, well, TC, what's your, what's your take on this? Um, If it hasn't been clear yet uh, about how much I love it, um, if I had to guess, um, frankly, we're not alone, but um, we're also never going to run into anyone else because of timing and distance. Um, I mentioned there's billions and billions and billions of years there. Um, the likelihood we just happen to perfectly overlap with one close enough, um, distance being the other, that, uh, again, this the only reason I look at the Milky Way version of this is I'm not convinced anything or anyone would ever be able to transverse galaxies. Um, but... Uh, so yes, they're out there, but no, um, not in our lifetime or any human's lifetime. Will we ever connect with them again? That's my guess. Just take it. Just, uh, take for what it's worth. All right. Quick commercial break again. And we're going to wrap up with how does this tie into marketing? Why we've been talking about science for a while. Let's talk about some marketing and some actual business here and how this ties in right back with more diving into data. Alrighty, to wrap up the show here, we're going to talk about probabilistic modeling as it relates to marketing specifically, and then also generally from business. Um, So to start this, before I even mention this, there is one other thing I want to point out. Um, And it's something when I talk about this with clients, when I've had actual business conversations like this, I felt like what I'm about to say, um, I should have said up front in those conversations to help kind of define some things. And that is understanding the difference between probabilistic modeling and deterministic modeling or predictions. So again, probabilistic—we've hit it a hundred times. This point—it's a range of probable solutions with the likelihood of each of those things happening. It gives you a ton of different things. and said it's going to be one of these, but we don't really know what it is here. You know, based on the odds, we think it'll most likely be you know over in this area. However, deterministic um, modeling is getting to one exact solution. This is running one exact simulation to get—it's um, a called a linear equation. We know all of the exact inputs, so we can get one exact result. Um, this is very useful for a lot of different you know business applications out there absolutely especially when you get into more like engineering manufacturing things like that however again from an analytics perspective it's probabilistic modeling is the only reasonable option Um, and the reason being that everything we're talking about is the real life it's the world it's the business world nothing in these places is absolute Um, there's always some unknowns there are always some you know risk or a range of possibilities Heck, um, again, even if if flipping a coin heads or tails drives everything else you do, you know, everything else, but you don't know the coin flip, well, you still only have a 50% chance um, of being, you know, let's say path A or path B. Um, So there are all these unknowns. And then when I say that, a lot of people have come back and said, well, if it's unknowns, it's just guessing, like, what's the point? Uh, No, it's okay that there are a lot of unknowns. It's incredibly informed still because... It is taking every variable into account, all the things that will impact this final result. It's accounting for all of them, or at least to the best of your ability, and then saying that, okay, here are the likelihood of outcomes. No, it can't tell you that the answer is, you know, 1.2 million or whatever the heck it is that we're going for. But it can tell you that, okay, the mean of this is this. Uh, maybe it's a normal distribution around this. We'd expect the value to kind of center it around here. Maybe it's a unique distribution of, you know, XYZ over here. Yes, you could have it as low as one or as high as a billion. But still, we, we've given ourselves a actual range. We've defined parameters in some regards, not just an infinite solution anymore. And additionally, um, we're much more informed about what the likelihood of things is. So if I told you um, that we could toss a uh, flip a coin um, and if uh, without knowing anything else, all I told you was um, your expected return from this coin game, um, if you lose is a dollar and if you win is a hundred dollars. You'd say, well, that sounds great. You know, if I if I win, I get, you know, I'm only down a dollar. If I lose, I'm up a hundred bucks. If I win a you know, coin flip, 50, 50 odds. Well, of course you'd take that bet. Um, but if I gave you more odds that, okay, now it's a weighted coin. And now we're going to do it out of a hundred times and you have to hit X, Y, and Z. Okay. It's still a good opportunity for you. You know, very rarely you're going to pass something up where you got a chance at hundred to one, um, unless I really, that's a really heavily weighted coin. Um, but you can make an informed decision taking into account all these little caveats maybe that I throw into our a little bit. Or if I don't, you just thank me for my $100 and hope that uh, uh, it comes up heads or tails, whatever you called. Um, but... Uh, let's talk about market scale here. Just a quick example. If for those of you who are still trying to connect the dots here and understand, um, four specific examples I literally came up with just like that of how we've used probabilistic modeling. The one for those of our clients that are listening here, you might have seen this and we've done this with you, um, is trade show ROI calculators. We build a probabilistic model around trade shows to, uh, for the expected return. Um, and so the things that impact that not only are things like Um, the number of expected attendees, the number of people that are expected to swipe at your booth, um, the number of people that swipe at the booth that convert into an actual lead slash opportunity, number of those that convert to sales, all these are factors that are gonna impact pretty much your return or the expected net value of a visitor at this trade show and the number of visitors you'd expect overall. Um, And even incorporating things like um, external factors, like let's, uh, we did one a while back where it was a trade show in January. I believe this was last year in 20, January, 2019 in New York in January, there was, um, according to some meteorological data we found, there was a 5% chance that there would be a blizzard on that day. That was big enough to disrupt the show significantly. We'll call it either cancel it or nearly cancel it. Um, even incorporating things like that what we do is we're able to say here's your expected return from the trade show. You know you have a pretty good idea for a trade show budget, a set expectation of okay it's going to cost 50k for the booth and 30k for this and 50k for this and okay so we're in, we're all in a, you know, 20 grand here, 150 grand here, whatever it may be depending on what kind of show and how big the show it is. But we can give you the range of possibilities and the likelihood that it will fall above or below that cost line. Um, or maybe you need a, you know you need 3x profit to make this a worthwhile endeavor according to your finance team. Great. We can tell you the likelihood of hitting that number. Again, can we tell you exactly what you're going to make at the trade show? No, there's too many unknowns. That we, there's no way we can predict that. but we can give you the probability of the outcomes and kind of help inform you that yes, um, it is possible that you will net anywhere from you know losing 100k to making two million dollars at this trade show. However, if most of those possibilities are in the, let's say making 300,000 to 600,000 range, well, that's good to know. That's a nice chunk of money. However, if most of those are right around breaking even, maybe even losing a little bit, okay, well, if we're more likely to kind of fall in this range, we probably don't wanna go through with this. We don't wanna make this spend. Um, another couple just random ways off the top of the head, renewal probabilities. We absolutely use, absolutely use probabilistic modeling for that based on a number of factors of how clients are engaged with market scale. Um, Sales forecasting, we absolutely do this. Um, It's a distribution that we're looking at. Um, taking into account whether it's for a couple specific factors we can control or all the unknowns in the sales process of a business. Um, do forecasting, we use it there. Um, and we're, even right now, we're not going to get too deep into it, but we're starting a new really cool project around content optimization. Um, some cool tools of proprietary stuff that we're going to be building. Um, that probabilistic modeling is actually one of the bases for what we're building now. So um, more to come on that probably, uh, heck, probably 2021 before it's uh, fully released here. But um, just to show you that, yes, there are true business applications here. Um, we use this all the time. Again, probabilistic modeling is awesome. It's something that is relatively easy. Not, com- companies don't do this enough. You should be doing it more. And I highly encourage you um, to check it out a little bit. Reach out to me. Ask how you could potentially be using it in your business. Um, and if you have even more time, go check out the Drake Equation and Fermi Paradox. Become a, uh, a geek about it like I am. Anyway, we got to wrap up our show today. I appreciate everyone who joined us. Um, It has been an awesome episode. Again, I appreciate you uh, humoring me and letting me dive down the rabbit hole of one of the things that I love talking about, the Drake equation. But our big theme today was, is it possible or probable? And is talking about the use, limits, and practicality of using probabilistic modeling um, and in general for problem solving, but also specifically for marketing, along with a deep dive on how probabilistic modeling built the Drake equation makes that so interesting. With that, we're going to wrap up. I appreciate everyone. I hope you guys all have an absolutely terrific week. We will be back here next week with another episode of Diving Into Data. So until then, stay safe, stay healthy, take it easy. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.